The time has come. The time has come. I wonder if you've ever heard those words said to you. Maybe you're at high school waiting to be called into the exam room. Maybe you're in hospital and the porter arrives to take you down to the operating theatre. Maybe you're a parent leaving your child behind as they began university. The time has come. They're ominous words, aren't they? It means that a moment we've been dreading has finally arrived. A cause of anxiety that we've been constantly thrusting to the back of our mind must now be faced with action. Or maybe this is an event we've worked hard for. Indeed, our whole life has been leading to it. It's now or never to make things happen. A great deal of our future is at stake. The time has come. Interestingly, if you put a personal pronoun before those words, the sense of them becomes very specific. Her time has come. His time has come. My time has come. The context that we would use that sentence in more than any other is death. Maybe a loved one has been battling an illness for a long time. Maybe they've said their goodbyes and they're at peace and they're ready to go. Their time has come. So the time has come. Ominous. Adrenaline producing. Make or break. My time has come. Life itself may be nearly over. In our passage today, Jesus knows that his time has come. The hour that his whole life has been headed for has finally arrived. Interestingly, at previous points in this gospel, Jesus had indicated that it was not yet his time. Do you remember when his mother summoned him at the wedding in Cana to fix the problem with the shortage of wine? He said, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. In John 7, when the religious leaders sent out soldiers to arrest Jesus, we read these words. They tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not come yet. On both occasions, it was too premature, too early for the great climax in his life. More teaching needed to be given to the people. More preparation for the disciples' future. More kingdom ground to be laid. The hour was not right. Yet suddenly, as Jesus arrives at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, his time has now come. It will be his unique moment of glory. It's interesting to see what brings about this dawning realisation to Jesus. It comes because some Greeks are trying to search him out. They come to the disciple Philip and they ask if it might be possible to have an audience with Jesus. They've heard so much about him, they'd like to see him face to face. They probably want to know if the rumours are true. They want an encounter with this incredible man of wisdom and power. For Jesus, it must have felt like the penny had finally dropped. 
For the past weeks and months, he'd been battling the notion that he'd come to win a great military victory, that he'd come to make Israel great again. Jesus was a Jew and he did love his people, but his purpose has always been much bigger than that. He hadn't come for just the benefit of one nation. He'd come to bless the whole world. And with the inquiry of these Greeks, these non-Jews, it appears that at least in some quarters, the message has got out. Now with the eyes of the whole world upon him, it's time to act. And of course, by that we mean it's time for him to die on their behalf. Our passage this evening is quite a dense one, so I'm going to try and split it into three sections. And from each section, we're going to reflect on a different angle of the upcoming death of Jesus. And then we'll finish by applying this teaching to our lives by asking the question, well, how does Jesus want us to respond to his death today? Let's begin. The first reflection is called glorified in death. And it comes from verses 23 to 26. Let me read some of this to you. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Last week, we read about the dramatic arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem, the event we celebrate on Palm Sunday each year. And we reflected on that occasion about the expectations of the crowds. Oppressed as they were by the Romans, they hoped that Jesus was going to be their new conquering war hero, a king of might and force. And as they sang their hosannas, they expected Jesus to go storming into the barracks and throw the army out and set up his throne in the palace. But of course, they were the plans of the crowds. They were not Jesus' plans. And when he climbed onto the back of that young donkey, he was demonstrating that he was going to be a very different kind of king. He'd come to make peace, not war. And as our passage begins today, we see it vividly again. Jesus' throne is not going to be one of purple and velvet and jewels it's going to be a rugged cross on a hill called the skull. Jesus' crown is not going to be one of gold. It's going to be constructed of blood-drawing thorns. Jesus knows full well that the moment of his greatest glory is going to be the moment of his greatest suffering. The time has come. His time has come death and glory together it's through the cross that jesus will complete his father's plan it's through that act of self-giving sacrifice that he will glorify the deity whose very being is love and in return the father will glorify him to the onlooking world jesus death will look like a tragedy the waste of something truly beautiful like a fulsome ear of grain falling to the ground and being trampled in the mud. But through it will come something even better. 
that ear of grain will plant many seeds, which will then grow on to make more and more and more grain. Through the terrible death of Jesus, a far greater purpose will be achieved. Eternal life will come. And when that life is seen, the tragedy will have been made a triumph. In the coming days, Jesus will demonstrate that he loves the world more than he loves his own life. And that self-giving love will look death in the face. It will meet it and defeat it. The time has come for Jesus to be glorified in death. The second little reflection is called obedient to death. And it comes from verses 27 to 29. Let me read them again. Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. We thought a few moments ago about just how ominous the words, the time has come, are. On the rare moments when we've heard those words spoken to us, they've set our hearts racing, the adrenaline pumping round our veins. And here we see something incredible and humbling. As Jesus realises that his time has come, he too is troubled, greatly troubled. In truth, this should not really surprise us. What was it that John laboured to tell us in the opening words of the gospel? In Jesus, the word became flesh. The eternal became mortal. The divine became human. Incredibly, Jesus was fully human, just like us, in every way like us. And here we see him shrinking from the thought of suffering and death, just like each one of us do. He had our natural instincts, every one of them. For Jesus, the temptation was to escape, to run away. The temptation was to use his great power to blast out another course of events. The temptation was to ask his father to save him from this hour. But unlike us, Jesus didn't fall for temptation, did he? And instead he remained resolutely committed to seeing the plan through. He would remain obedient to his father, obedient to death. He would give all that he had to bring glory to God's name. It's really humbling to see that Jesus knew full well the danger that lay ahead, but that he knew that it was by going through that danger rather than avoiding it that God's glory would shine out into the world and be seen. And in this moment of very human weakness, Jesus calls out a prayer to his father. He wants to please him, but it will be so hard. He wants help, encouragement even. And in response to his prayerful commitment, the father does something mind-blowing. He speaks out loud. A voice comes thundering from heaven, audibly affirming his son. He's so pleased with Jesus' courageous obedience and he promises him that it won't be in vain. 
In walking the way of the cross, Jesus has made the right choice. And the Father assures him that he will hold on to him. When you think about it, the Father has already glorified his name through Jesus. He's done it through his teaching and his spectacular miracles. But he promises that somehow he would do it again in and through the moments of his death. Surely for Jesus, there was a hint of resurrection hope here. A wonderful glimpse of what was to come as a reward for his obedience. You know, all children crave their father's validation. It's essential for their well-being to know their father's affirmation and pride and approval. When a child is cheered on by their dad, when a child is told that their father loves them, they instantly stand up tall. Knowing a father's pride can make a child run through a brick wall. Now, I'm lucky enough to know that myself from the support of my own father. And I hope that you are, many of you here are too. And I'm really sorry if you didn't receive that when you were a child. But this is something of what Jesus gets when his father's voice booms from heaven. Jesus has set his mind to a terrifying task. And nothing, absolutely nothing, is going to stop him from being obedient to death. The Father has just given him all the encouragement he needs to see the task through. The time has come for Jesus to be obedient to death. So glorified in death, obedient to death, the final reflection is entitled, Victory through death. These are verses 30 to 33. Jesus said that voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. Interestingly, Jesus says that this booming voice of the Father from heaven was not just for his benefit. It was for the benefit of the festival crowds too. They also needed to see that the way of the cross had been God's plan all along. And in these short verses, Jesus gives us three micro explanations as to how the cross would work. How he would win the greatest victory. First, the cross would be the moment of God's judgment on all sin. Jesus said, now is the time for judgment on this world. You know, at the cross, God's love, God's utterly self-giving love will be seen in all its glory. Indeed, it's at the cross that love is defined. Perfect love is always shown in sacrifice. And what that means then is that every time we look at the cross, we see how far short our attempts at love fall. We are not always selfless or sacrificial. We're often greedy and proud and self-seeking. We will harm others for our own ends, let alone serve them as Jesus did. So when we look at the cross, it brings our whole life into judgment. And not just our life, but the life of every human being that has ever lived. The cross shows up our sin. But wonderfully, because a perfect, innocent 
human being died in our place. Jesus has taken all of that judgment onto himself so that we might go free. The judgment that we deserve has been taken away. The sins of the world have been forgiven. Second, Jesus said that the cross would bring about the defeat of evil. The second half of verse 31. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, evil thought that it won the greatest victory. It just killed off the son of God. But no, not so. Nothing could be further from the truth. Through death and resurrection, Jesus would utterly defeat evil. Through the cross, God will rescue all humanity from the devil's clutches. Evil will be triumphed over and driven out. It is guaranteed because of the cross. And thirdly, Jesus says that the cross will bring about the reconciliation of the world. Verse 32. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will then draw all people to myself. Do you remember the story of Moses and the bronze snake in the wilderness? Do you remember that story? The people were sinning badly, so God sent some venomous snakes to teach them a lesson. And then they cried out to him for help, and God told Moses to make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, hold it up in the air, and when the people looked up to the snake, they were healed. Well, Jesus, too, is going to be lifted up high in the air. And when people turn from their sin and look up to him for help, they too will experience healing. Healing for their minds, healing for their broken spirit, healing for their relationship with God and with each other. On the cross, Jesus is going to reconcile human beings back to God. And as he does that, he's going to reconcile human beings to each other. He's going to draw the whole world into one big family centered on him. He's going to create peace, true peace forevermore. On Palm Sunday, the people of Jerusalem called out for a king. They wanted a new reign to begin. Well, Jesus has just made it clear that the king is here, but his reign is going to be very different. The cross will be his throne. The crucifixion his coronation and through his death a universal reign of peace will begin the time has come for Jesus to win the victory through death so through the teaching of Jesus we have learned three important things Jesus will be glorified in death he will be obedient to death and he will win the victory through his upcoming death on the cross. The time has finally come then for us to work out how are we going to respond to the cross today. Let me just briefly read how our passage ended. The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the Lord that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark doesn't know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. And when he finished speaking, Jesus left. 
Notice how the crowd and the disciples still do not get what Jesus is saying to them. This teaching was so counterintuitive to them. A crucified Messiah, victory through death, glory and suffering didn't make any sense to them. They'd been promised in the Old Testament a Messiah who would reign on David's throne forever and ever. How could death fit into that? It didn't seem to make any sense. It would do after the cross and resurrection, but not yet. What Jesus has just said is bewildering them. And I guess there may be some of us here this evening who feel the same way. We still struggle to get it. We still battle to understand the Bible. We still really struggle to understand how the Son of God dying might be a good thing. And if that is us this evening, don't worry, because you're in good company with the disciples. So what are we to do? What are we to do with all the questions and the fears and the doubts that we have? Well, Jesus says we're to keep walking in the light. In other words... We're to keep following him. We're to keep seeking him out. We're to keep asking him our questions, hungry to learn more. We're to keep believing the bits that we can. We're not to throw our hands up in the air and give up and plunge ourselves back into the ways of the world without care. Because if you do that, eventually you'll be lost in the darkness forever. But if you keep trying to seek Jesus out, He will slowly but surely make clear all you need to know. We will find him if we seek him with all our heart. And indeed, as we draw near to his light, he will go on to illuminate us so that we become children of light as well. And maybe in some distant day of the future, we might find ourselves explaining Jesus and the cross to someone else. What a turnaround that will be. I want to finish by just reading verses 25 and 26 again. Jesus said, Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. We all know that at times following Jesus is difficult. We will find ourselves walking a similar path to the one that he did. There will be a time where we have to give things up for our faith. There will be a time where we have to lay down our lives and be prepared to suffer. There will be a time when we have to meet death with faith. But because Jesus went to the cross, we have a great promise to hold us in those moments. Jesus said, if we serve and follow him, The Father will honour us and he will grant us eternal life. In our reading today, we saw that the time had come for Jesus to die to save us from our sins. Maybe the time has come right now for us to trust him wholeheartedly with our lives.